0: and uh, turn to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18 is where we're going to be for a majority of our time today. And uh, this is, as we continue this series we're calling, uh, What Did Jesus Say? where well, we're taking each week and we're thinking about specifically, what did Jesus say about a specific matter pertaining to our faith, our, uh, uh, commitment as followers of Jesus, okay? And so uh, today, specifically, uh, we're going uh, to be talking about and seeking to answer the question, what did Jesus say about forgiveness, okay? And uh, in order to uh, get everyone honed in here, I'm going to uh, make a statement. I'm going to say, uh, when it comes to forgiveness, and I want you all to respond, what did Jesus say, alright, just as loud as you can at 8.30 in the morning right now, so when it comes to forgiveness, okay, and that's what we're going to be asking, and uh, the last couple of weeks we talked about prayer, we talked about fasting, and I'll mention that if you've missed either of those, uh there's several ways that you can re-listen to those if you want to catch up in this series uh, via our podcast that you can get to. Uh, you can listen to the audio on our website. Um, you can actually uh, tune in if you're uh, gone and you're a week. Uh, you want to listen to last week's message. Uh, our local radio station WBYL WBYS. Uh, radio puts that on at 10 a.m. every Sunday morning, uh, one week behind what we're teaching today. And, uh, then, uh, you can also get on and watch the video service of the, these messages, uh, online as well. So if you have questions about that, feel free to, uh, contact the office. Um, but this is, uh, this is honestly, I'm just gonna be frank with you. This is one of those biblical subject matters that is just Hard, okay? It is so challenging, and it's challenging because it goes against the, everything to do with the fabric of who I am as a fleshly human person, and it goes against the fabric of what our culture would say that we should focus on or even exert energy or time to do. But if we are a follower of Christ at church, that is what it means to be the church, okay? It's, it's not here in this building. God doesn't reside here. He He resides where His people are. And so if we are the church, then we are called to live in a way that does not just follow the mold of what culture or a majority of people would tell us. We're called to follow after what God's Word would communicate to us that we should do and how we should live. So I want to read out of Matthew 18. I'm going to start actually in... A, In verse 21 is where I'm going to start. Uh, Matthew 18, verse 21. And we're going to read to the end of uh, chapter 18. And it says that Peter came up and said to Him, and Him is Jesus here, said to Him, Lord, how often... Will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now, I want you to picture here, pause for a moment, picture Peter thinking as he's asking Jesus this question. Man, what is a big number? I could, I could impress Jesus with the amount of times that I'm going to suggest that I will forgive someone. He says, seven times? Like, is that enough? And Jesus... Verse 22, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but uh, seventy-seven times. And some of you might go, wait, I've always heard seventy times seven. Hang on to that. I'm going to talk about that a little more after we get to the end of this text. Verse 23, Jesus says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, you may have a footnote there in your Bible that describes just how much one talent is. And in reality, a talent here is worth about 20 years' wages. Pause and think about that for a minute. This servant was indebted to his master... Ten thousand talents. Ten thousand times twenty years wages. Everyone say that's a lot. Verse 25, and since he could not pay his mas- since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, I will pay everything. And when you understand the depth of what he owed, you should think automatically, that's ridiculous. Alright? And I'm gonna reread that statement and I want you to interact with me and go, that's ridiculous. So the man says, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, because the master clearly understood what was going on here, out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii And understand here, a denary was a day's wage. One day. This guy owed him a hundred days' wages. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. Verse 30, He refused And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Father, as we take a look at this, it's convicting, it's challenging, and yet, Lord, it's pertinent to our walk as followers of Jesus. So we commit this time to you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, understand this. If we look back at the beginning of this section of Scripture, Jesus is specifically answering a question that Peter, one of his disciples, said to him. So, it is understood here that what Jesus is talking about is an expectation for his disciples. And so where that the rubber meets the road here and now is if you are a follower of Christ, Jesus' teaching still applies to you. If you are not a follower of Christ or you're here today and you go, I just don't really know where I stand in my relationship with the Lord. That is your focal point today. Your focal point today is to spend, even this time right now, wrestling with the question, who is Jesus and why should I care? What is the gospel? What is the good news? And I'll summarize that for you in a moment. The gospel is good news because there is bad news. You are a sinner incapable of standing before a holy God. God knew this. And yet in His mercy and abundant grace gave His Son as a living sacrifice to the earth. Perfect. Living a perfect, sinless life here And dying so that each and every one of us can have confidence to enter the presence of God. Not by anything we have done of our own accord, but uh, because of what Jesus has done for us. And the truth of the gospel is everyone who believes in the name of Jesus and Jesus alone to be saved will indeed be saved. That's the gospel. And then everything that comes after that, that is not it At that point, that is the start line for the follower of Christ to say, from now on, I am seeking to live as Jesus has called me to live. And it is hard. It is a trial. It is something we do well some days and other days we fail miserably. And for the rest of our God-given days, we are meant to pursue Jesus and everything He has called us to. And so what has Jesus called us to when it comes to forgiveness? Well, the first question that comes for many people is 70 times or 70 times seven. If you read uh, the ESV, the NIV, uh, some, some of these translations, you, you see the word uh, 77. If you read the new King James or the King James or even the NASB, it says uh, 70 times seven. And you go, there's a big difference here. Um, There's a big difference between these two. Which which is it? Well, the reality is, is this is a common interpretive challenge as to whether Jesus was quoting the Hebrew Scriptures from the Old Testament or whether He was speaking uh, what is often recorded in the Greek Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew text. And so in all reality, there are good arguments for either one. Whether it's 77 or 70 times 7. And what I, the reason I bring this up is because the point Jesus is making has nothing to do with this number. And if we get stuck on this number, you're missing the entirety of what Jesus is trying to teach. Whether it is 77 times or 70 times 7, the point is... You're not supposed to keep track. And this is even further emphasized in Paul's teachings in 1 Corinthians 13, where he's talking about love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. If we keep going here, it keeps no record of wrongs. And so at the end of the day, if I'm sitting here with my tally book and going, oh, you've sinned against me 77 times, according to Jesus, I don't have to forgive you anymore. You're missing the point. Okay. And so what, what does Jesus' teaching here reveal about forgiveness? The first thing I want you to jot down is God's forgiveness is not limited by numbers. Praise the Lord for that. In 1 John 1, we know that if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's a hope for each and every one of us that it doesn't matter. God's, God's grace is so abundant that we don't have to worry that we're going to reach a point where God's forgiveness is no longer able to forgive. Now, that's... The encouraging piece of this, because the reality comes when we recognize that even in Ephesians 4, Paul says this to the church, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, how? As God in Christ forgave you. Whoa. You have been forgiven an insurmountable debt. Just as the servant in Jesus' story, 10,000 times 20 years, every time we come back and we see our sin through the lens of the gospel, we should go, this is ridiculous. And it's ridiculous for me to even begin to think that I can do anything to pay Him back. Which is why salvation is not by works. It is only through Jesus. Because there's no way. The model of forgiveness that we are to reference towards others is the forgiveness that we have received in Jesus. Now, There's more lessons in this parable. The second one of here that we can see clearly is that it is always, it will always be easier, church, to plead for my own forgiveness than to forgive others. Where do we see that played out? Clearly here in verses 26 through 30, the servant had no problem. On his knees, begging his master, forgive me, I'll pay you back. And we go, this is a ridiculous amount to be paid back. And yet, the master gave grace, right? Unmerited favor to say, you are forgiven. Your debt is forgiven. And the servant, what does he do? <clears throat> he goes out and he finds a servant who literally owes him a hundred days wage. A hundred days. It wouldn't even be comparable if the other servant had owed one 20-year stint of wages, as opposed to a 100 days, and this same servant who well he approaches because he's, he has his debt against him, pleads with him, just forgive me, I'll pay you back. And that servant hardens his heart and goes, no, you owe me. You deserve to pay me back now. So you're going to be locked up until you can. It will always be easier for me to plead for my own forgiveness. Why? Because I am intrinsically a selfish person. And the selfish thing is for me to hold a grudge, for me to demand that this plays out the way I want it to. Which is why our culture has this whole semblance of karma. You're you're going to get what's coming to you. No, that's you wanting them to get what you think they should have coming to them. And yet we, as followers of Jesus, believe there is one God and one judge. And it is not us. And so when we approach these situations we approach and we think about who is it that's wronged me? Who is it that's done something that in my mind it's just they cannot do enough to pay me back. Well, that sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? But it's so much easier for me to go to the Lord and say, "Oh God, forgive me. I'm so thankful I have salvation. I'm so th- I'm a sinner." I, well, you you know what? You're surrounded by fellow sinners who need the same forgiveness that you do. And Jesus is communicating, trying to get His disciples to understand, look, the debt that you owe cannot be paid by you. And you are more concerned about how many times you need to forgive your brother in Christ before you can just cast them off. Done with you. And the challenge is, I want you to stop and think about what God in Christ has done for you. A third lesson that we can grasp here. <clears throat> is that when we choose unforgiveness we imprison ourselves. When we choose to live in unforgiveness we put ourselves in prison. If we look back at the story in verses 33 through 35 the master says it should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Why was he imprisoned? He wasn't actually imprisoned because of the debt he owed. Do you grasp that from the story? He was forgiven his debt originally. It was only after he chose to live in unforgiveness, chose not to extend the same mercy he had been shown, that the master says, now you're locked up. Now you're imprisoned. Now, you might ask the question, how does us living in unforgiveness imprison us? The first thing it does is it damages our relationship with others. The more I live in unforgiveness with people around me, the less I am inclined to want to be in relationship with people at all. Why? Because people will hurt you. People are messy. People are sinners. Which means in the grand scheme of everything going on, if you are in relationship with people, prepare to be hurt. And I guarantee that you have been the object of someone else's pain at some point in your life. And when we choose to live in unforgiveness in our own lives... We imprison ourselves and isolate ourselves. And that is no one else's fault but our own doing. The second thing, way it imprisons us <clears throat> is it, it damages our relationship with the Lord. Well, what do you mean? How does it damage our relationship with the Lord? Well, in Matthew 6, in the Lord's Prayer, do you ever stop to think about what, what this says in verse 12? Forgive us our debts, how? As we also have forgiven our debtors. When we pray this, we're literally setting the precedence for God to go, well, let's see how you forgave the other people that that wronged you, and that's how you will be forgiven. That's what you're asking. Forgive us in the same way that we are forgiving the people around us. And in the last part of this in verse 15, but if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Whoa. Oh, wait a minute. How can this be the case? <clears throat> the reality here, church, is that we cannot possibly walk with God in true fellowship if we refuse to uh, to forgive other people. That does not mean that you, d- you don't have some semblance of a relationship with Him. Okay? But the reality is, to walk in true fellowship, to be in communion with a holy God, and live with unforgiveness towards your brother or sister in Christ, you can't do that. Why? Because... If I am coming to God for forgiveness and the forgiveness I expect from him, I am not at the same time seeking to deliver to the people around me, then I don't really know what I'm asking for. Now, a question people may have in this, and I'm going to try to answer this as quickly as I can, because this is a deep-rooted thing, and I want you to wrestle with this. Based in this, based in this reality that God's called us to forgive, and it says here, if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Does that mean that if, if I don't forgive other people, then I'm not saved? We know a couple of things, right? It's really important we don't take this out of context. One, Jesus is talking here to His disciples. Okay? If He's talking to His disciples, then there is not something in the midst of this where God is going, where Jesus is going. You guys are, you need to question whether or not you're really saved here. And we need to understand That in our relationship with the Lord, there is a horizontal level and there is a vertical level. The horizontal is everything that we have going on here, that we have been called to here. And the vertical is everything that God in Christ has done for us and we refocus on those things. The problem is, church, when we take the things that are horizontal and we elevate them here, it hinders our ability to truly pursue a vertical relationship with God. And so if I am living in unforgiveness in the horizontal, then I cannot expect there to be clear communication in my vertical relationship with the Lord. Because I am not really focused on wanting to do the will of God. I'm focused on elevating my horizontal priorities to a level that only God should be. <clears throat> so, I want to I end our time this morning by identifying three common myths or untruths when it comes to forgiveness. Okay? Three common myths or untruths. The first one of those, forgiving means Forgetting. Scripture does not identify this anywhere. You've been wronged by someone. Deeply hurt by someone. Forgiving them does not mean that you somehow just wipe a clean slate and forget what they've done. What it does mean is that I'm going to choose not to see them simply in light of their sin. And I'm not going to allow whatever happened here to keep me from praying blessing over that person. If I can't do that, there is a problem. Forgiveness doesn't mean you forget what took place, but it means you move forward with a different kind of intentionality. Secondly, a myth or untruth is that forgiving means accepting abuse. Wrong Wrong, wrong, okay? We, we have, we've gotten this so wrong in the scheme of Christianity that somehow forgiving means you just live with something that is not okay and not right. I can't emphasize this enough. In fact, Psalm 10 says, O Lord, You hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline Your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. Forgiveness does not mean I accept abuse. If you're in an abusive situation, forgiving is not ignoring the reality of your hurt and pain. Forgiveness is not trusting someone who has harmed you again. You get yourself safe and you surround yourself with people who will walk alongside you, who will show the love of Christ to you, but who will speak biblical truth to you. And then you walk in the same forgiveness that you have been forgiven in Christ. The third and final myth or untruth is that forgiving equals no earthly consequences. Should there be consequences for earthly action? Absolutely. Should there be earthly forms of justice to maintain order in our country and our world? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, if I choose to live with unforgiveness towards someone around me, I may think that I am punishing them, but in reality, I am really just hurting myself. We speak out against injustice. But, church, we have no right to make eternal judgments on people. That is God's job and His alone. So, what do I do now? Because I've thrown a lot of intense stuff at you this morning. And I knew that coming into today, this was not going to be a lighthearted <laughs> message because it's hard. And yet, this is the symptom of so much unrest amongst the church and our community. Because we have something that someone said or they did to us and we just can't let it go. And I'm here to tell you that you not letting this go and forgiving and seeking to see those people as God in Christ sees them Is imprisoning you. So here's what I want you to do. We're going to sing one last song this morning. And as we sing this. I want you to think about where. You are holding unforgiveness in your life. And maybe you need to write down a name. Maybe you need to put it on paper. And then this week. I want you to think every day about the gospel. About what God in Christ has done for you. And then I want you to pray that you would make steps towards forgiveness, towards that person. Or that circumstance. Whatever that may be. And as you do that, I believe wholeheartedly that you will see renewed blessing and hope in your life. Because as we restore the horizontal relationships that we've been given, we open up the opportunity for the vertical relationship to be healthy once again. Let's not choose to live in unforgiveness today. Father, this is a really convicting and challenging message. And so I pray that you would help us to think about where we're harboring unforgiveness in our own lives. And that we would seek to model Jesus. Make us more like him, I pray in his name.